Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Good Lord. There was only one proper way to start this movie. And that was with the <laughs> and that was with the classic by Living in a Box. Living in a Box. That's right. The fucking band is living in a box. <laughs> Good Lord. This is the latest cannon fodder here on the All American Spook Show where we the whole premise is we pick a movie from the Canon Films Library. And we talk about it. So this week we're talking about Masters of the Universe from 1987. <laughs> so there was only one way to approach this. You, you can't go with the the Superman slash Star oh, Wars ripoff theme music from oof. the movie. You have to go with Living in a Box. So yeah. there we go. So I'm, I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Donnie. Dope. And the Professor Smoke. Oh. Uh, Will couldn't be with us. He's on assignment, and, and man, he's missing a good one. But we did get—we're going to get his thoughts later on. Uh, we will get some of his input. He just couldn't be here for uh, this recording session, so uh, we'll leave it there for now. So, um, I guess before we get deep into the movie itself, I'll go ahead and throw out that you can go to the all-new, just launched back at literally on Halloween, aaspookshow.com, and that's where you can find everything that has anything to do with the Spook Show universe. All of our YouTube stuff, including Hammer Horror. In order, uh, <laughs> you have to hesitate, right? Remember, we've we've learned this well. Um, Spook Show rewinds. You've got Grindhouse Gutter, all that cool stuff over on YouTube. Patreon.com/slash a Spook Show, where you get every month a library of the Professor segment. Uh, you get Crafter Pete's Theater, which we uh, we just threw up a new poll here for the month of November for what we're going to be watching in December, and just know it's going to be one of the shittiest Christmas movies you can <laughs> possibly imagine. That that's what's going to be out on that poll. So uh, go check out the socials. Go to aaspookshow.com. Go over to patreon.com slash aaspookshow. Find all those things. I guess uh, without any further buildup, I'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for Masters of the Universe. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I was the hunted down and brought to me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm going to need some backup. Can you show us the way? No. Somebody help me! distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. All right, so before we get into the, the deep dive, uh, uh, you know, some of the information that we have and some of the usual information that we throw out on every movie that we watch, we'll go ahead and toss to 
I mean, who else is there any better to talk about <laughs> this movie or any other canon movie than author of the canon film guide, Austin Trunick himself? So we'll go ahead and toss to him now. Canon Chronicles with Austin Trunick. Hello, Austin Trinick, author of the Canon Film Guide, here to talk about 1987's Masters of the Universe. Now, despite all of its appearances otherwise, this is actually not a movie that originated with Canon. It was brought to them as a package that was already included the script, the director, and Dolph. Now, there are some fantastic YouTubers that can break down the history of the toys far better than I can, folks like Toy Galaxy and such, but Masters of the Universe was basically created by Mattel to get into that lucrative boys figure market in the early 80s. It was a direct competitor to things like Kenner's Star Wars line and Hasbro's G.I. Joe. Obviously, toys were a huge hit in the early 80s, the He-Man toys. There was the cartoon, there was the comics and such, and but, 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 but Mattel kind of saw the writing on the wall, I think, and they knew this wasn't going to have the same staying power as the others if it didn't become a bigger pop culture phenomenon. So they started developing a live-action movie, and it was a couple of years before it got to canon. As the development time went on, they were beginning to watch their toy sales fall, and you have to figure that they were feeling more and more pressure as time went on, almost as if they needed this movie to be a hit so that they could save the brand. Ed Pressman came on as the executive producer for the project, and he was kind of the perfect man for the job. Not only was he from the Pressman family that founded and owned Pressman Toys, but he had just produced the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Conan the Barbarian, which is kind of the perfect thing to have on your resume if you're going to make a movie about a space barbarian toy line. He brought on screenwriter David O'Dell, who was also a great get. O'Dell was a longtime Muppet man and Jim Henson collaborator, and he had written and done most of the world building for The Dark Crystal. Now, Dolph Lundgren was cast during development as well. This was going to be his first big leading role. He had a teeny tiny part in A View to a Kill, and of course, his breakout as Ivan Drago in Rocky, but that was a role where he barely spoke, if you think back on it. Now, Masters of the Universe was, is, the first true quote-unquote Dolph Lundgren movie. Personally, I don't think a human being has ever walked to this planet who was more physically perfect to play he-Man than mid-1980s Dolph Lundgren. I'm going to say something that and risk angering some of the old-school MOTU fans, but I would argue that Dolph Lundgren is more He-Man than He-Man. Now, obviously, Mattel makes toys and not movies. They had to shop this idea around once they had the package put together. This was the mid-1980s, contrary to today, where a majority of our big movies are based on toys, comics, or cartoon properties. This was considered very unusual at that time. Most studio executives received their pitch, thought, you want how much to make a movie about action figures, and started laughing their asses off. The few who did not dismiss the idea entirely weren't about to hand over the amount of money for the movie that they would have needed to make it make sure it was done properly. Now, it, it, it came down to studios severely underbidding for the rights to make Masters Universe. Canon bid a couple million bucks more than the others, which was still only about two-thirds of what they wanted, and they probably needed to do the movie right. Now, so that's where Masters became a Canon movie. Now, honestly, the biggest issue there was that Canon essentially ran out of cash while the movie was shooting. It would take me hours to explain everything that went wrong for Canon financially in 1986 and 1987, but it was very, very bad. That's all you need to know. They had to scale back their productions drastically. The last day of regular shooting on Masters Universe ended with a Canon lackey actually pulling a literal plug on the movie when the clock struck midnight. They actually made... The director, uh, Gary Goddard, go out and pay out of his own pocket for some of the pickup shots that he needed to finish the film. Well, rating time. Rating, rating, rating. There are two, lay, two ways we can look at this. If I were to rate this purely as a He-Man movie, honestly, I'd probably have to give it a 2 out of 5, and that's mostly for just how incredible Frank Langella is as Skeletor. God bless that guy. The material is not beneath him at all. He puts his 
all and everything into it and just gives this Shakespearean style performance. He's just so, so, so good in here. But if I think back to when I saw this as a kid, I remember being disappointed that it wasn't anything like the cartoon that I knew. Uh, where's Orko? Where's Battle Cat? Why are we in suburban California? Those things bothered me. Because to a kid in the 80s, I guess those were the things that made He-Man He-Man. As I've grown older and wiser, I've come to appreciate more and more elements of this movie. There's some fantastic design work. You've got Bill Stout and Mobius coming up with the costumes and sets. Skeletor's throne room looks absolutely amazing. The cast is great. And not just Dolph and Langella, but James Tolkien, Meg Foster, Billy Barty, everyone else. And honestly, it's, it's impressive that this movie looks as good as it does, considering the time and the money they had to work with. I'm going to bump up my rating then to a 3.5 out of 5. As much as I've come to love and enjoy this movie and want to give it more, I'm always going to have this nagging sadness about what could have been. With another 6 to $8 million, well, I mean, we'd all love another 6 to $8 million more than we have, but this movie had 6 to $8 million more, and you kept all the same cast and crew in place, just the only thing you changed was the amount of money that was put into it. I think this could have been an 80s fantasy classic rather than the infamous flop it turned out to be. This was just a case where the ideas were a little bit, a lot, a lot, a lot. Let me take that. This was an idea where the ideas were a lot bigger than the resources they had to actually pull them off. And with that, fellas, I am out this time. Catch you all in a few weeks. All right, so there you go. That That is the, uh, the rating and the thoughts and all the background information from Austin Trinick with his latest Canon Chronicle. So lot, lots of good information to take there. Uh, saves us a few uh, uh, minutes of uh, research and talking, yeah. right? <laughs> Just letting him go. But uh, we, we appreciate that again, Austin, and uh, hope to get you uh, next time on the next yeah, man. Uh, Canon Fodder. So um, <clears throat> some of the background on this movie... It was also known as Masters of the Universe, the motion picture. That was the promotional title. Mm, yeah. And also He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That was the informal alternate title for the film. So I guess they just settled on Masters of the Universe. It was released August 7th, 1987 by the Canon Group, also produced by them. Rated PG, total runtime of one hour, 46 minutes. On IMDb, it's listed as an action slash adventure slash fantasy. Uh, it was filmed in the Los Angeles area in some you know various spots and studios there uh, from August 11th through November of 1986. So I mean, for this kind of movie, that's you know I guess that's a fair turnaround. You know, wrap around November and then it comes out August of 87. But still, for a movie that needs as much post, I'm sure as this one did, it's kind of a you know a, a fast turnaround. But it's canon, right? Uh, budget 22 million dollars, which is crazy for canon you know as uh, uh mm. austin was talking about there uh directed by gary goddard who really didn't direct much else because this was his directorial debut and only yep. did like some short films and stuff afterwards but he was known as uh, uh the writer of tarzan the ape man from 1981 and he had worked on a few other things uh this movie was written by david odell and uh i guess kind of uncredited rewrites by stephen tolkien and gary goddard uh, the cast, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, like Austin was talking about. Um, I, you would know him from what he was talking about. You know, Rocky Four. that would have been his big hit-making moment, right? You know, his big uh, breakout on the scene right before this. And uh, he went on to do a bunch of other things. I and mean, he's still active today. But, you know, these are probably some... The, the stuff from the late 80s, mid to late 80s to, the say, the early 90s would be most of the stuff that you're going to remember Dolph Lundgren for. For sure. This, I believe this is the first time we've done a Dolph Lundgren movie. Probably won't be the last. Am I, am I right in saying that? Like, I think, I don't think we've ever had, you know, done a movie. We have movie. not. Yeah, no, yeah. no, this um, is the, this is the first. Frank Langella as Skeletor, just like Austin said, you know, and we'll get into his portrayal of Skeletor here shortly, <laughs> but wow. He, he, uh, would best be known from, uh, uh, Frost Nixon, uh, Robot and Frank, The Box, the Trial of the Chicago 7. I mean, he's got over 100 acting credits on IMDb. Uh, a well-known actor, you know, for the last 40, 50 years is Frank Langella. 
um, frankly, it's kind of a big name for this type of movie, right? Like that you would get a guy like that, like a true, really good actor <clears throat> in a movie like this from Canada. Yeah, and kind of- yeah from what I uh, was reading, uh, his son was a big fan of the cartoon and, you know, the toys and all that. And he was, uh, um, he really just, he took the role because of his son. Well, I, I mean, I'm glad he did it, you know, <laughs> as, as yeah, definitely, you know, as the movie turned out, you know, I'm definitely glad he did it because I think he nailed it. Meg Foster as Eva Lynn, uh, she would best be known from They Live, uh, The Lord of Salem, 31. So she's done a handful of things with uh, Rob Zombie. I mean, she's got over 120, 124 acting credits to be uh, precise over on IMDb. And she's still she's still, uh, you know, kicking around today. I mean, she's still making stuff. I mean, most recently, uh, The Accursed. Hellblazers, so uh, once again another recognizable face, and she's one, she's one of those kind of like people that sticks out because of her eyes being like crystal blue like that. Like yeah, you see her man, like you know you remember the face for sure. Uh, another cool casting bit: oh. Billy Barty as Gwildor. Uh, another interesting casting thing. <laughs> he would best be known from Willow, Legend, uh, Under the Rainbow. I think that was that. Wasn't that kind of like a half documentary type of movie of like talking about what happened to all the Munchkins and stuff and uh, uh, Wizard of Oz? Kind of a controversial kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm first seeing it back in the you know 80s or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away in December of 2000 at the age of 76. But long career. I mean, he had 213 acting credits over on IMDb. T- tons of stuff. I mean, he's definitely uh, a recognizable. Interesting character, you know, beyond just, you know, the fact that he was, he was a, a little person, right? But just beyond that, like his facial expressions and everything, he, he really was a good actor. Courtney Cox as Julie Winston in this movie. Now this, th- this is before she broke out, obviously with Scream and, and became, you know, mm. uh, and friends and everything like that. And just became someone, you know, a person or an actress that everyone knew. Um, like household name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think like th- this might even. Well, I guess this was after uh, that bit where she had the small part in that Bruce Springsteen uh, dancing in the dark video, okay. right? This was after that, but still, like uh, at this point, that'd be about all you would have known her from, right? Other than that, like, uh, and maybe uh, she was in the series Misfits of Science that ran back in the mid '80s. Maybe, maybe you remember her from that, but at this point, but this was clearly like her first big uh, acting role. And I believe, uh, well, no, there was a movie that came out before this called Down Twisted that I guess would have been her feature film debut, best I can tell. But this was basically, I'm not going to say this made her a big star or anything like that, but this is one of her first big breakout roles. You know, they, they got bigger a little bit later down the line, like with Cocoon, The Return, and uh, she was in Family Ties and stuff like that, right? Yeah, we need to do a... We need to do a spook show spotlight on uh, actors and their first gigs, or maybe not necessarily first gigs, but you know Early these years. types of cult films that they are not known for that they did yeah. first. You know? Yeah, yeah, like not their breakout roles, like just like we yep. did uh, Jennifer Aniston and um, uh, Leprechaun. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we haven't done this movie yet, but Demi Moore and Parasite. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if y'all either of y'all seen that, but yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Probably not one that she'd want to be known for being her first movie or one of her first movies. Yeah, just like uh, what when we did uh, The Burning, right? Uh, mm. Got him blanking on his name. The guy from Seinfeld. What was it? Uh, Jason Alexander. Yeah. Jason Alexander, yeah. With hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <Jason> <laughs> As kind of the wise ass with hair. Like, so completely, not a completely, a complete departure from the kind of things that he did later on, but yeah, just his look, right? Being a lot younger with hair and everything. Yeah, I mean there's a tons of tons of other people in the movie, but those are probably the main ones to point out. I mean, yeah. the guy that played uh Kevin, Kevin Corrigan, that was uh Robert Duncan McNeil. I think he would best be known from uh, Star Trek Voyager, you know, a handful of years later. Otherwise, you know, uh not a whole hell of a lot. I mean, he's got 30 acting credits on IMDb and he is still active uh these days, but uh mostly that would probably be if anything else you're going to remember him from it be that. So uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to point out before we dive in deep here? Uh, you did mention Gary Goddard. Um, yeah, this was his, uh, at, which you've, you've already mentioned, uh, this was his uh, first and only uh, full-length feature feature film uh, as director. Uh, he wouldn't direct anything else after this until uh, 1996 when he directed the pre-show video to Jurassic Park The Ride. <laughs> so so yeah this uh i mean you don't want to say this ended his career but no, you know didn't. he didn't do anything after not, this not anything on um, this scale for sure not any yeah certainly not anything anything major 
and, and I'm sure we'll get into it here shortly, but like a lot of the problems that this movie has, you can't, I wouldn't say you could directly pin on him. I mean, I think no, it's fine for what Not. it is. It just, you know, you know, it ends up being the director though. Unfortunately, you know what I mean? You, you ever notice how that, that happens a lot. Like even the, it could be any number of other shit going on in the movie. It's like, well, we got to pin this on somebody. So then the director ends up getting like blacklisted, so to speak, you know, where he doesn't yeah, get those, yeah. those, gigs as much for a while you know or whatever which is really shitty <laughs> when it's yeah. not his fault you know i guess it's like time a, another analogy would be like the quarterback of a football team it's not always the quarterback's fault why they're why they're successful not always his fault right. or you know he's not always the reason they win but he's almost always going to take the fall you know or, or say the coach right whatever but it's very similar um this movie actually did win a couple of awards it it won the uh, Silver Scroll Award for Outstanding Achievement uh, by Gary Goddard in 1988. And uh, it was actually nominated for two Saturn Awards that year uh, for Best Costumes and Best Special Effects. Did not win. And then it was nominated for Best Film in the International Fantasy Film Award of Fantasport in 1988. But it, it did not win. But it did win Best Special Effects uh, that year at Fantasport. And it was also nominated for a Razzie, of course. For 1988, for worst supporting actor Billy Barty. <laughs> oh, come on, man! I mean, that's come no on, dude. Quilt. That's a little. That's a little stiff, I admit. But yeah. there you go. <laughs> I guess it's unsurprising. I mean, he's still though, but come on. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're ranking, if you're just looking at this movie and saying what was the worst performance, other than just some random dude in the background or something like that. I don't know. You you might have to give it to him, you know, because I think all the other ones are fine enough. You know, they're they're playing the parts correctly, like Austin said. But that one, that that one, I think is. I think that one's just more for the over the topness of it all. That role, yeah, right. Yeah, that you know, I actually I used to work with a lady who, uh, and God God help her, uh, she uh, she looked like and she talked exactly like Gwildor. But I mean. Uh, she she'll never hear this. So uh, Eva, yeah, I'm sorry, but she looked like Wildor. She, dude, I would love to find a picture. Yeah, if only. <laughs> Good journey, <laughs> man. <laughs> Shit. See, see you later, Donnie. It's time to refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. Hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So like we do, slide on over to Audible, and I just typed in Masters of the Universe to see what pop up, and we have the very first result. Masters of the Universe, Hayek, Friedman, and the Birth of Neoliberal Politics. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> by, <laughs> by Daniel Stedman Jones. Uh, that one's uh, almost 16 hours of, uh, I'm sure, of wall-to-wall fun. Blech. Um <laughs> We also have He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I, Skeletor, the Tales of Eternia series, book two. So apparently there's, uh, okay, yeah, there, there's the first one. It's called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, The Hunt for Mossman. So these these look like uh, some of that more recent stuff that they've put on Netflix, uh, the new Masters of the Universe series. There's t- tons of other stuff that may or may not have anything to do with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, uh, ton, like, like that first one about politics, whatever the hell that was. Um, but yeah, if any of that stuff interests you, you can jump on over to Audible and by going to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. So now I hop on over to IMDb and I, I just click on plot summaries there to see what we got. And we got a few here. So Donnie, hold on to your hat because here we go. We've got the simple one here. The heroic warrior He-Man battles against the evil Lord Skeletor and his armies of darkness for control of Castle Grayskull. Now we have two longer ones. This one's by Claudio Carvola over on IMDb. <clears throat> Here we go. On the planet Eternia, Skeletor and his dark army overthrow the sorceress of Castle Grayskull, expecting to acquire her power. He-Man, his old friend Duncan, man-at-arms, and his daughter Tila are attacked by Skeletor's soldiers and they defeat them. 
They also rescue their prisoner, the inventor and locksmith Gwildor. He explains that he was lured by Evil Lynn that used his invention, the Cosmic Key, to open the gates and seize the Castle Grayskull. He-Man and his friends retrieved the prototype of the Cosmic Key, trying to release the sorceress, but they are defeated by Skeletor and his army, and Gwildor uses his key to open an, a portal for them to flee. They come to Earth but lose the key. Meanwhile, Julie Winston, who grieves the loss of her parents in a plane crash, and her boyfriend Kevin Corrigan find and activate the key, believing it is a foreign musical instrument. On Eternia, Evil Lynn locates the cosmic key, and Skeletor sends her with a group of mercenaries and soldiers to vanquish He-Man and his friends and bring the key back. Will they succeed? And the one last one, it's kind of, it's kind of long like that one was. On the planet Eternia, the Dark Lord Skeletor has taken over Castle Grayskull, imprisoned the sorceress, and Skeletor has begun draining the sorceress's powers as he attempts to claim the powers of Grayskull and become master of the universe. Mighty warrior He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe, and his companions, loyal soldier man-at-arms, his daughter Tila, and a dwarf inventor named Gwildor, finds themselves on Earth by Gwildor's creation, the Cosmic Key, a device that can open portals that lead to anywhere in the galaxy, which Skeletor requires in his goal for universal conquest. But when the Cosmic Key is discovered by Julie Winston and her boyfriend Kevin Corrigan, both unaware that Earth is about to become a battleground, as Skeletor and his vile minions arrives on Earth, as they go in pursuit of He-Man and his companions who are searching for the Cosmic Key, they so they can return to Eternia and defeat Skeletor. Boo! Woo! <laughs> you Boy, okay? That is a lot. I might need a stiff shot of whiskey after that. So where where do we begin here? I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up, right? Like, they get sent to Earth by this Cosmic Key, and then they basically... The whole, most of the movie is, is He-Man and, and the rest of them trying to find their way back to Eternia to take down Skeletor. So, um, like I mentioned before, like I'll just straight up start from the beginning with the theme. It's just straight up Superman, right? Right? Like that, that theme song is just like, uh, they just, it sounds like they just moved a couple notes around and it's the opening theme to Superman <laughs> with a little touch of Star Wars in there. Yeah, like, much like um, Cosmic Key, the tones of the Cosmic Key are basically 2001: A Space Odyssey. I don't know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? <laughs> it's very similar, and you know, um, Bill Conti uh, actually composed the uh, the theme, um, and you know, he's known for the Rocky franchise. Uh, he did uh, 007 for Your Eyes Only, and he also did the Karate Kid franchise. So he can put some notes together. Instead I, of ripping just, off Superman. Yeah, it's not that it's bad or anything. It's fine. It does what it it's needs to do. So it's just so similar. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, any, any any one of those guys worth worth their salt, you'd think you'd want to go a little bit more original than that. Mm, you know, yeah. but hey, whatever. Uh, and it is canon. So, you know, they, they yes. the, the fact that they, they spent money on it, <laughs> you know, like and not just reuse something from another movie. Yeah. It's surprising enough. Yeah. Although they did do Superman four, the quest for peace, <laughs> what around the around the same time. Which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. Oh, oh man, there's some will. great Superman flying effects in that movie, right? Oh yeah. All right. It's about it's about like <laughs> He Man flying around on that whatever the hell a he little, was flying around. Yeah, a little drone board. <laughs> God, that was that was bad. That, the hub um, whatever that was. Yeah, I mean the thing is, like you know the the. The effects for, you know, the time period aren't bad. No, I, I, I mean, think, you know, I made that yeah. note. Like, for canon, this being a canon movie, and for 1980, you know, they made it in 86, the movie came out in 87, I think the look of everything holds up, and Austin kind of alluded to that, too. Like, some of yeah. the, the set design and some of that stuff kind of holds yeah. up, right? You know? Yeah, and, Consider, you yeah. know, Skelet even Skeletor looks, I mean, he looks fairly solid, you know, I mean, as far as the, uh, you know, his, his look and shit, I mean... Franklin Jelly just nails that. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, um, I mean, let's talk about him for a second. Like, <laughs> dude, I mean, like, like Austin said, this is like a really good performance. Like, and, and the more I've seen it over the years, the more you sit there and watch it now with a more of an, a, an adult eye, so to speak. You're like, wow, yeah. you know, th this dude really, he bought in. Like, you know, like, yeah. he could have just said, what the fuck is this? I'm just doing this because my kid likes these toys. Let's just get, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll act kind of cornball and get through this thing. But now like he really, he's acting his ass off, man. He really, yeah, he, he really poured himself in. into it, man. Yeah. He really leaned he, in. He even said it's one of his favorite roles. And that, I mean, probably because yeah. how important it was to his son, like, like y'all mentioned. 
Yeah. But, uh, sure. yeah, he, after the fact, he said it's one of his favorite roles. <laughs> well, I can see why I'm sure it was fun, you know, for a guy like that, that, you know, did, you know, your yeah. general fair, you know, uh, uh, maybe even like Shakespearean type of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I'm sure it was a lot of fun to kind of slum it, so to speak, you know, for him in a, in a, in this type of movie, but. You know what I remember him from the most as a kid was uh, Dracula. I forget what year it was. Yeah. 1979 or 80 or somewhere in there, maybe? I do remember that, yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I remembered him from. Like, if I don't remember him from any other movie, it's that one. Yeah. And that's just because of how many times it was on TV, and I watched it back in the early 80s, I guess. Well, you're, what, about 15, 20 minutes into the movie? Well, I'd say give or take about 20 minutes into the movie where you finally hear living, <clears throat> living in a box, right? Like, <laughs> if you had the bingo card... <laughs> The Masters of the Universe bingo card, or the Canon Films bingo card out. It's when <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they went and get, got into Kevin's van, and then you hear, living in a box, you know. So. <laughs> it's funny how that song is taken off more than any other song in this movie and stuff, and it's barely, all, I mean, it's just playing in the background of his truck when he's talking yeah. in a scene, so it's barely even audible. It's there, yeah. not as loud as even Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze that gets played in the music store or whatever yeah. it is, the yeah. store that they go into, or the... the Whatever that store is, pawn yeah, shop type thing, right? Music store, yeah, yeah. Store was, yeah. So, but it's, but that that song has taken on a life of its own for uh for cult movie fans and canon movie fans. <laughs> Speaking of cult stuff and just cult status, whatever, right? Someone that really sticks out, James Tolkien is Detective Lubick. Oh, yeah. Like that dude yeah, right there, yeah. especially yeah. at this time, right? He you would know him. I guess even today, you'd know him best from Back, Back to the Future. Future. Back to the yeah. Future, but. Like even this one, I was also got to me. He was that light instructor or whatever, not well, whatever he, guy. Dinger, I think his name was. That was the one thing I was thinking about though when I was you know watching him in this movie. And once again, he does a good job in it as well. But he always plays similar roles. You know what I mean? It's like it's like we talked about with <laughs> yeah. Dick Miller, where he's always just pretty much Dick Miller in every movie. Like <laughs> this guy's pretty much the same. Like yeah, he's a principal in one movie, he's a cop in another, but it's always basically the same role, just wearing a different hat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just. Put on a different shirt. <laughs> but once again, he's like, uh, so James, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. He's like, nope, I'm just going to be James Tolkien. That's it. <laughs> yes. Okay. And you'll Go. like it. You're right, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Going to, going back a little bit, uh, you know, Skeletor, uh, Mattel, uh, like Austin uh, mentioned, you know they they produce the uh, the toys in the cartoon. Oh, I'm sorry, they they produce the uh, the toys anyway. Uh, they basically said that He-Man could not kill anybody on screen, uh, and that's why um, that's why Skeletor's troops are essentially robots. <laughs> yeah, and, and that makes sense. I mean, like you know, for a movie that's geared towards kids and selling more toys, because let's let's be honest, like half of this movie, <laughs> you know, and Austin alluded to it, and I agree. It's why I was kind of disappointed with the movie when I was a kid. Was that mm. there were a lot of characters in there, like you said, where's Orko? Where's Battle Cat? They didn't yep. do any of the Prince Adam stuff where he turns into He-Man, so there's no Cringer nope. to Battle Cat, none of that stuff. No Ram Man, yeah, none of these yeah, uh, yeah. characters that we're familiar yeah, with. Even the even the bad I'm guys. Even, you know? I'm even Stinkor. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the skunk Stinkor? <laughs> even like the bad guys, the only one other than Skeletor and Evil Lynn is Beast Man. The other ones are Beast these, these made-up yeah. ones like Blade and all these other Blade? ones. Blade? Yeah. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, where the fuck is Merman? Where's Trapjaw? Where's, he, you know, yeah. where are all these guys? Yeah. But now we get Ram Bl- Man. We get oh, Blade. Yeah. And, and and you can't even say, well, it was a budget thing. No, you had a guy dressed in a lizard suit with a helmet, but you couldn't put fucking Merman in this? You know, one of these major <laughs> characters from the cartoon? Yeah. I just remember that being a big deal when I was a kid. But yeah, Orko's probably one of the biggest ones. And it's pretty oh, clear. Yeah. And it's pretty clear they're like, no, that's gonna cost too much. Fuck it. Uh Billy Barty, do you mind dressing up like Gwildor? <laughs> What's Gwildor? <laughs> and then okay, here we go. You know. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know that I mean that's just his that's just his voice. <laughs> yeah, he's not putting on airs, you know. <laughs> he's, no. he's not putting on a cartoony no. voice. He's he's pretty much Billy Barty <laughs> with a lot of prosthetics on his head, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, and something about that uh, the cosmic key. There was actually three. Uh, there were three. They made three different cosmic keys, and they were real fragile. They broke easily, uh, but today each one of them is worth around eight thousand. So they still eight thousand dollars. They're still kicking around. They still exist. Some, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah, somewhere, probably a collector or you know. And they were, uh, you know, impressive looking little things, you know, especially yeah. when they would turn it on. Obviously, the lights and shit, right? Who care? You know, that's just, you know, yeah. CGI, but animated shit, whatever. But 
when the the like the tuning forks or whatever the keys themselves are turning on the top and everything like mm. it's a cool looking little you know gizmo that they made for this for sure so he-man has the power sword throughout the movie and he pretty much never uses it he uses it randomly. The thing is, he does use the sword, but it, it's never. I think he like uses at the it, very end, he uses it a little at the beginning. Maybe like pulls it out once while they're on Earth or something like that, and then he has the fight yeah. with Skeletor. That's it. And then there's the finally the moment where, you know, he has to throw down with Skeletor. I have the power, right? <laughs> then he he said that right. That was it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. he man shooting a gun at robots. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I think the closest thing to the original Masters of the Universe is uh, Skeletor's ram-headed staff, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. pretty mm-hmm. much looks like, you know, and the sword, the He-Man's power sword, but it wasn't, you know, even the power sword wasn't identical, but it was close enough, you know. Yeah, That's probably yeah. the, closest, the two closest things in the movie to the series. I mean, because, you know, everybody else looked different. They were trying to go for a more realistic beast, man. You know, they weren't, they weren't going to have an orange furred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have to look like normal or whatever. The, a lot of the things that they change, I can understand why they change them, and I can I, and I can accept most of the change. It's just yeah. some of the some of it's like for no reason to me. You know, it's more yeah. like a, a an art direction kind of thing. We're like, well, you know, we don't quite like that. Let's make it look like this. You know, that kind of thing. Um, most. And of, I, and I agree with you and but Austin though. You know, on, as a kid when you watch this, yeah, yeah, disappointed with it. You, you were bound to be disappointed with it because of it not being hardly anything to do with the series. So, yeah. And as time goes on, I also agree with also on that. You, you watch it with different eyes, you know, as you get a little yeah. bit older, yeah, get a little bit more. Away. I look, <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember being disappointed because it wasn't like the cartoon that I loved and the toys that yeah. I loved. Um, that being said, how much of this kind of shit did we have as kids? So even though it wasn't the greatest thing, you know what? You just learn to accept it and you just watch the shit out of it. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. well, it, you know, I'm not getting another one, so let's just fucking love the hell out of this thing, even though it's it's not very good. And we and I'm only seven, and I know that. Yeah, but fuck it, it's the only one we're gonna get, so let's just yeah, enjoy pretty it. Pretty much, you know. Let's just. Oh, and uh, Pig Boy, <laughs> Pig Boy, Pig Boy. The only reason he was there was uh, uh, he had won a contest uh, to be in the movie. Wow, and. They had ran out of time, and they were just like, "Yeah, here, be Pig Boy." <laughs> <laughs> they had to, they had to do do something with him. But yeah, yeah. Well, at least they owned and, up to their end of the prize, I guess. You know. Yeah, and this is, uh, yeah, this is the only thing he's ever done. I, actually, I take that back. Uh, there was a like a 2017 documentary where he, you know, did an interview. Mm-hmm. Other than that, this is all he's done. So. <laughs> I made a note about the the whole subplot about Julie's parents and everything. So really in the end, it's really only there just so like evil in can come along and trick her. Cause yep. why is it there? Why is it? Why do we care about Julie's parents dying in a plane crash and that being a thing? Well, like at the very end where you mentioned the time travel, but yeah. And that's just <laughs> thrown in like, the whole movie, they never mention anything about the cosmic key being able to. All they talk about is it being able to take you basically from one place to yeah, another. Yeah, it's, it's like a doorway or a yeah, gateway. Yeah, all of a sudden, a as he's like programming it. Oh, yeah, by the way, I can send you anywhere in time. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> when did this. Yeah, can you. uh you something about this legs? <laughs> yeah, you, you mean we could have just went back in time and defeated, you know, never. Uh, you never gave it to Evil Lynn, and then she never you know, like. <laughs> you could have solved this a long time ago, you little motherfucker. But no, you made us. By the way, yeah, and you know the whole point of them being on Earth was just to cut back on the budget, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's we can't yeah. afford to do a whole movie on Eternia. Let's let's take this shit to a back lot, you know, in in L.A. that's unspace like, and make it look like Earth. You know, <laughs> oh, that's way cheaper. Yeah, let's do that. But yeah, that whole subplot like just seems so forced. Like, oh yeah, Julie. By the way, her her parents died in a horrible plane crash, and it's only ever brought back up again when Evil Lynn needs to trick her to get the cosmic key, and then like you said at the very end when they're like, the very end. You know, <laughs> we can take you back in time. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. But the whole look of Super Skeletor, right? Like toward the end when he. <laughs> He almost wins. Like, yeah, I mean, like, it looks really cool. You know, like, yeah. I don't remember anything about that being, like, you know, 
cartoon correct, comic book, whatever the hell, you know, like the yeah, source material but... correct. But yeah, still, I think it all looked cool. Oh, speaking of one thing, though, about Skeletor, the only thing about him that's kind of like, like, what the hell is, uh, he's a skeleton, right? He's skull face, mm-hmm. but he's got lips. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's very similar. He's sure. back behind the mask, you know, behind his mask back here. So it's kind of like, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. You're a skull. You're supposed to be on the outside, right? You, there. Wouldn't, you wouldn't think. <laughs> that's just, a, that's just picky, but it's just like humorous. And once again, it's an art direction kind of thing because you wouldn't think it would be that hard to recreate the look, you know, like a skull face, right? Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard to. to The talking part would be difficult, I guess, to get it to you know because you would have to see the teeth and that to be a fake mouth of some sort. Yeah, maybe moving. Maybe his face he can he can't emote as much with the teeth and everything, right? But still, it wouldn't have been hard to. I wouldn't think it would have been hard to recreate it, but it's the same as Gwildor, right? Like, there's plenty of scenes where they get up close on Gwildor, and you can see his fucking mouth inside the mouth, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, you can see Billy Barty's mouth, like in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I always like the part where he steals the uh, chick, the bucket of chicken, and they're all, or I guess it's ribs or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. And they're all just sitting there, like, why do they put all the meat on the bone? You know, like. On the stick, yeah. yeah right? They put all this those, white uh, stick, <laughs> and he's the Rainbow. only one like, yeah, this used to be an animal, or a uh, man at arms. <laughs> or how about when they first go through the portal and uh, and Gwildor is like communicating with the cow or trying to communicate with the cow? <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that was funny. Moo, moo, good journey. Oh man! So what do we think of like the whole the whole ending? Just all of a sudden, all right. Well, they they beat Skeletor, knocked him down in a pit, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and then like you know, happily ever after, they send Julie and Kevin back, and of course, like I said, t- throw time travel in there. All of a sudden, now her parents are alive, everything's cool, and uh, then at the very end, you get the post credits scene of uh, I don't know yeah. if you guys watched <laughs> to the very, very end. Uh, yeah. Skeletor pops back. Yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back. Now that's the, <laughs> the Terminator first, ending. I, I could be way, I could be wrong, you know, obviously. I mean, I don't know everything about every, every movie ever made or anything like that, but this has got to be one of, if not the first movies that had like a cutscene at the end of it, right? That's not just some throwaway, like it, it is a plot driven, like this is there because they want to do a sequel kind of thing. Like it's the first time I ever remember seeing something like that. I don't, yeah, because I don't know if you would count. I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off just had the joke at the end where he's like, what are you doing here? Leave, you know, like yeah, with the robe, yeah. with the bathroom, yeah. whatever. I mean, not that wasn't a plot device. So it wasn't like they were trying to set up another Ferris Bueller's yeah. another day off, you know, or something. It was like, just, th- yeah. This is the first one I remember, like, properly trying to set up a sequel. Like, oh, shit, Skeletor's still alive, and they're going to do another one. I remember even when I was a kid, like, oh, oh, man, maybe that means they'll make another one and they'll do it better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know that canon was like crumbling. In the- <laughs> yeah, well, it is. If you think about it, if you look back on it now, it is typical canon, right? Like counting their eggs before yeah. they hatch, so to speak. Oh, or counting their chickens before they yeah. hatch. They, they used to just do it in the pamphlets. They'd hand it out at cons and all the film festivals, yeah. you know, with all, yeah, here, we have a movie we're working on with this actor and that actor and this and boom. Now they're actually putting it in the movie. Oh, yeah. Now they're just like <laughs> mailing it. Be doing another one, even though they had no plans or no money or no nothing to do with another movie. Because it seems like actually, that, um, yeah, they they were. Uh, um, it was actually written. The sequel was written and cast, but they never filmed it. Wow. Uh, they built the. Uh, well, was it? They were gonna. They were gonna make uh, this sequel back to back with Spider Man. Well, if and you look at the history of it. if you look at the history of canon, and I'm sure all yep. can go in deep, like it kind of yep. started going to shit right here. Like this, <laughs> yeah. this is where it started really like between this and Superman four and, and a few, a few other movies. Like I think these are the ones that did canon in, to be honest with you. It's all, yeah. Down, yeah. it's all downhill from here. So it wasn't going to be uh, Dolph Lundgren in the sequel as he man. It was going to be uh, surfer Laird Hamilton. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'd like to see that sequel movie. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. I don't know if he's still alive, but I want to see them do it now. Like he him is. Now. Okay, <laughs> there you go. He is still alive. I want 2022 uh, Laird Hamilton as He-Man. Yep. Two things we were cheated out of was a Masters of the Universe sequel by Canon and a Spider-Man Canon, a Canon film Spider-Man. Uh, Both of those I would like to see. Yeah, I agree. And there's probably way more that we don't even, we're not aware of like on the level of Austin is that like, oh. we would have been like, yeah, I'd love to see that because it was something he was talking about to us or something that was like, 
holy shit, when he described it, I'm like, I would have paid big money right now to make that happen. You know, I, I think it was when we talked to him, you know, when he was on the show with the interview the last time when we were talking about volume two of his book and he was talking about something with Bronson or something that was supposed to be made. I don't remember what you can go back and listen to that episode, but yeah, yeah, there we go. That's masters of the universe. I mean, <laughs> there's really not much else to say. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, our ratings will reflect our, our current thoughts on it. Maybe not so much our thoughts, our 1987 thoughts, right? But <laughs> our 2022 thoughts. So, Smoke, I'll let you go first. Yeah, this was, uh, well, we've already discussed how, you know, the movie kind of was when we were younger versus, you know, now. So, if I, yeah, if, you know, let's see, how old was I then? I guess uh, it was about 13, I guess, when this came out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 13-year-old me would have rated this a lot lower at the very first time when I saw it. Again, though, like you said, it, we were, it was cool to have it, but you were disappointed, you know, and it did not looking like anything like the series, so... Uh, but yes, uh, me now haven't seen it enough times, I mean, plenty of times over the years. Now, once again, kind of I'll, I'll add that this is the cannonball rating scale. So it is a little mm. different than our yeah, normal, little, you know, for you dude. listeners, it's, it's a little, it's skewed in the canon way. So just take that into yeah. account. Like if you hear us say a five, you're like, what? You know, so that, that explains why it's a little weird, but go ahead. Yeah. I think I'm kind of, I'm pretty much in the same camp as Austin was, uh, describing this and, and kind of with his rating as well. I still as much as I like it and enjoy it, I don't put it in that upper echelon of, uh, of Canon films of some of the ones we've done, such as invasion USA or even 10 to midnight or, or missing in action or whatnot. So, uh, uh, but, but it is up there. It's up there. You know, it's way above say, you know, hot chili or something. <laughs> way above. <laughs> well, good uh, old <laughs> But what, it, what isn't above hot chili? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like me take me eating a hot bowl of chili and taking a shit is rated higher <laughs> than the movie hot chili. Oh, Oh, God, I'll take a hot bowl of chili over watching hot chili any day. Of the oh, week. and I'll take the shits Oof. that I get from that hot chili <laughs> yeah. more than. <laughs> That's fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> who know? Who knew we'd get hot chili back in here? Oh, every time uh, it comes up, yeah, it's every time we talk about a canon movie, it's going to come up forever. But yeah, this movie's got a lot going for it as far as the acting department. You know, it's, Lundgren does fine as he man. I didn't have, I never had any qualms with that. You know, Lang with Frank Langella as Skeletor, as we've mentioned, is phenomenal. Tolkien, John is his name, John Tolkien, uh, James Tolkien. And, you know, it sounds James, like Tolkien, yeah. James Tolkien, but it's not Tolkien like yeah, the yeah. author is Tolkien, Tolkien yeah, T F L K A N. But yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah he's he's James Tolkien, is James Tolkien, like you said in any movie. And, he's, and that's just fine because he does a good job at playing James Cole. Yeah. I'm going to have to go three and a half as well. Like with the same as Austin gave it, I believe. Well, and two, I'll mention this other thing Meg Foster's connection to, to Rob Zombie. Uh, Austin mentioned a connection to Rob Zombie unintentionally, or at least I saw it that way. When he mentioned that Dolph Lundgren was more He Man than He Man, it made me think of more human than human. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. More nice. He Man than He Man. And song. <laughs> with all Masters Universe related lyrics rewritten more human than human as more he man than he man. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh yeah, you know, much of much of the same, you know, has already been said. Um, you know, uh with all with all of its flaws, it's still a fun movie. You know, and if it's on, I'm gonna watch it. Probably. You know. Um uh, and you know, even if you're let's say you know, you're what this comes on or, you know, you you've you're completely new to the 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 cartoon, the toys, completely new to it. Uh, if you sit down and you're, you know, kind of into this kind of, you know, 80s kind of cheesy movies like that, you're, you're probably going to like it. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to enjoy it. But, you know, all of our favorite characters were missing and it's just I don't know it. I mean, it's exactly what you what you alluded to. You know, it's like, well, this is it for what it is. <laughs> this is it. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna echo uh, three and a half. Um, it's not even on the canon scale. All right. So I, I talked to Will about it all fair, and since he couldn't be here with us, he he went ahead and gave us his uh, a cannonball rating, and he gave it four. So uh, going along with, uh, with that and what everyone else has had to say, I think I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with four. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's as disappointing as I, as disappointed as I was as a kid, you know, now I can, I can understand the situation a little more. I understand the reasons why they did some of what they did now. So, 
I appreciate it a little bit more. Now, that being said, I'm still looking forward to the day that we can finally get a good one. I mean, because it, God, you know, it, even in the years after this one came out, it's been rumored in Hollywood for mm. like the last 30 years that they're going to make another one. And supposedly it's coming one, you know, I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Right. But one of these days, you know, hopefully we get masters of the universe done the right way. You know, and you get to see battle cat and, and Orco and all the other cool shit that you didn't get to see in this one, you know, and hopefully, but you know, until then, you know, you still got this movie. You've got all the cartoons, you know, all the various versions of the cartoon. There's plenty of ways in the comic books and blah, blah, blah to enjoy uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So you add all of our ratings up, including Austin with his three and a half cannonballs. And we come up with 3.7 cannonballs on the old uh, cannon fodder scale. So there you go. That's where we'll leave it. All right. So with all the ratings and whatnot out of the way, Donnie, I'll go ahead and toss it to you. Cannon Connections. All right, so uh, uh, typically on the cast and crew side, we you know we have any cast connections uh, for from this uh, uh, from this episode, this movie, to past Spook Show episodes. Um, but on the cast side, there's no connections. Uh, on the crew side, we do have several special effects uh, crew members um, from Masters of the Universe that also worked on Reanimator. Uh, critters and april fool's day mm. so you can uh if you want to check out those uh episodes in our spook show archives you can go to aaspookshow.com and uh clip go to our archive section and uh, check those up that would be the easiest way and wherever you get your podcast just look through all of the past episodes and they should be there so I guess that's it for uh, this edition of Cannon Fodder as far as Masters of the Universe is concerned, but we'll go ahead and throw out a tease to what we're going to be watching next. And we're starting the holiday season with, uh, it's our Thanksgiving episode, but it's not really directly a Thanksgiving movie. It's the day after Thanksgiving. We're going to be watching Black Friday from just last year, from 2021. The brief IMDb synopsis reads, a group of toy store employees must protect each other. From a horde of parasite-infected shoppers, so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, I'm looking for. I, I've been wanting to see it since last year, so I'm looking forward to it. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll dig into that next week, and then we got an, and then we really start the holiday season in earnest. After that, we got some big ones lined up. So oh, yeah. we'll tell you more about that once we get you know into Black Friday and everything. So really, I guess that's as uh, good a place to leave it as any. So for uh, Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke. I'm Josh. We are from the All-American Spook Show. And we're living in a box. <laughs> we'll see you next week for Black yeah. Friday. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful. And so will the patrons who follow you.